Today is day two of the confirmation hearings of Neil Gorsuch to the United States Supreme Court. Yesterday, the opening statements of the senators showed the partisan divide. Republicans said Gorsuch was a careful arbiter of the law, while the Democrats said he goes out of his way to issue rulings in favor of powerful institutions. Today, the senators began their questioning of Gorsuch. A looming question was whether Gorsuch would be independent, which he said time and time again he would, even if it meant opposing President Donald Trump. I will apply the law faithfully and fearlessly and without regard to persons. Time and again, Gorsuch also refused to comment on pending cases like Trump's Muslim ban or even on well-established Supreme Court precedent. I'm not going to say anything here that would give anybody any idea how I'd rule in any case like that that could come before the Supreme Court or my court of the Tenth Circuit. Our guests are Elizabeth Wydra, president of the Constitutional Accountability Center, and Carrie Severino, chief counsel at the Judicial Crisis Network. Elizabeth, what stood out to you during this morning's hearings? Well, I thought one thing that was really interesting happened uh, just before the break. There was a question to Judge Gorsuch about um, these repeated comments made by Donald Trump on the campaign trail and then after um, he became president that he would have as explicit litmus test the willingness for um, his nominee to automatically overrule Roe versus Wade. And the question was put to Judge Gorsuch, and he said that he would have walked out the door if the question had been asked of him, the question was not asked of him. Now, that's really interesting because the question then is, well, Donald Trump said over and over that he was going to use this litmus test, being willing to overturn Roe versus Wade. Does that mean he... um, you know, decided it wasn't going to be his litmus test and private, even though a lot of people voted for Trump because of this? Or did he pick Neil Gorsuch knowing that without asking him the question, his record showed that he would be someone who would overturn Roe versus Wade? So I think a lot of the people who are watching, frankly, on either side, either because they want Roe overturned or because they desperately want to keep the constitutional right to abortion that women have enjoyed and which enables them to be full economic participants and full equal citizens in this country, a lot of people, I think, are looking very closely at that question to just see how do we square these two statements. Carrie, we know that Judge Gorsuch was chosen from a list given by a federal, the Federalist Society. Would anyone on that list be on that list if they weren't conservative and against Roe v. Wade? Well, the list was chosen with an eye to finding judges who have a judicial philosophy in the lines of Justice Scalia and in his mold, so someone who's going to have an originalist approach to the Constitution, uh, looking at the text, looking at the original understanding of that text, whether that the Constitution or all of its amendments, the time of their passage, um, that um, someone who's going to be a textualist when it comes to statutory interpretation. So um, I think all of the people on that list, that is thus far. And so that's what um, Judge Gorsuch stands for as well. And I think another thing that, that has been repeatedly mentioned is someone who, who has the courage of their convictions. That means even when they think it will be unpopular to do so, um, and we've seen many of those cases that Gorsuch has had to try come up today, even when there may be sympathetic litigants on the side that you don't think legally has the winning argument, um, that someone who's going to stand up for those principles and, and still come out with the correct legal result, even if there, whether there's political pressure, media pressure, or simply just going, wow, this law is a bad law. But as Gorsuch has said, you're not always going to like the laws as they stand. Your job as a judge is to apply the law. Elizabeth, um, 
it's been said that unlike Justice Scalia, his right he in the beginning he was very much compared to Justice Scalia when he was first introduced, especially by President Trump, but that he varies from originalism in his writings. Well, he certainly claims to be, um, you know, and, and his supporters have put forth the idea that he is an originalist as a reason to support him, that he's a textualist and originalist. Um, and uh, a lot of people find that concerning because they look at what Justice Scalia did with his so-called originalism and finding against protections for uh, women, people of color, LGBTQ Americans, and are concerned by that. I will say that my organization, Constitutional Accountability Center, um, we consider ourselves to be uh, focused on the text and history of the Constitution and find that it if you actually do the scholarship and do the work, it points to, more often than not, progressive results. So we actually did a report on Judge Gorsuch's record looking at it and put out a report, which you can find on our website at the usconstitution.org, that suggests that, uh, well, at the very least, we have concerns that Judge Gorsuch might be more of a selective originalist, where he focuses on the text and history of certain provisions. He talked this morning about the Fourth Amendment protection against search and seizure, and I certainly agree with him when he talked about how that is protected and was protected in a 2012 case from the Supreme Court, uh, Jones versus United States. But then when we look at his record on, for example, the 14th Amendment, which was passed after the Civil War and wrote into the Constitution crucial protections for equal equality under the law for all persons, due process of law for all persons, both citizen and non-citizen. And we don't see that same um, evoking of the drafters of the 14th Amendment as we see when he looks to the folks who drafted the Constitution in the 18th century. And so we just have concerns about that. And I will note that he felt free, Judge Gorsuch did this morning, to answer a question from Senator Hatch about, indeed, this case I just talked about, Jones and the Fourth Amendment, talking about how the Fourth Amendment, uh, the meaning of it in uh, 1789, was applied to modern-day circumstances. We're talking about the Neil Gorsuch nomination hearings. He's nominated to fill the seat of the late Justice Antonin Scalia, and he's been compared to Scalia time and again. During the hearings, Gorsuch has steadfastly refused to express his opinions about any case decided by the Supreme Court or upcoming. He might have been surprised to hear an interview for the show Uncommon Knowledge in 2012. Justice Scalia said then that since the Supreme Court is essentially rewriting the Constitution term by term, the old criteria for appointing justices no longer applies, and senators should be allowed to find out what kind of a new constitution will this nominee write. You know, Judge so-and-so, do you think there's a right to whatever it is, abortion, whatever you hate or, hate or love? You don't? Well, I think it's there, and my constituents think it's there, and I'm not going to put you on the Supreme Court. That's what's going on. And it ought to go on. I, much as I hate that process, I prefer to the alternative, which is just letting the Supreme Court, without any political control, rewrite the Constitution term by term. We've been talking to Elizabeth Wydra, president of the Constitutional Accountability Center, and Carrie Severino, chief counsel at the Judicial Crisis Network. Carrie, none of the justices in the past, I don't know how many years, have have actually expressed what their opinions are on things. And... Uh, Judge Gorsuch followed that today. Were you surprised to hear what Justice Scalia's opinion on that was? 
Oh, no, I've, I've, I've heard that uh, said before, and I think that makes total sense. What he's pointing out is if you don't take, as he does, an originalist approach, as Judge Gorsuch does, where, or in a textualist approach, where you really do take the law and the Constitution seriously, if you are simply, frankly, as the Constitutional Accountability Center does in its report, reading in your own what you, your wishes and dreams into what you think the, the uh, 14th Amendment, for example, says, then, yes, we need to know what those are, because if you're going to read them into the Constitution as a judge— um, then the Senate ought to find out what those are. However, if you're going to actually look at what the text says, what the understanding was, not not what you want it to be in, in uh, 2017, whether you wish the 14th Amendment included a right to abortion or you know, um, marriage or a, um, assisted suicide, all these different things that have been listed in the, in, in the Constitutional Economy, some of these um, briefs. But, you know, if you, if you actually believe, let's look at what it said in, they, they meant when they passed the 14th Amendment. That's what originalism is. And uh, I think that's the kind of thing that insulates judges from the political um, back and forth here. We shouldn't have to um, have judges that are going to vote according to what they think a good political outcome is or what they think the sense of the American culture is. They're not, they're not pollsters either. They're, uh, they're lawyers and they're judges. They should be applying the law as it stands and not trying to rewrite it. Elizabeth, do we really learn anything at these hearings anymore because the judge, the judges will not answer questions about the content of their rulings or the content of rulings that even Roe v. Wade, you know, which is established in the law for so long, do we learn anything? Well, I think that the nominees should answer some of those questions when it comes to cases that um, are precedent and have been decided. And Judge Gorsuch actually did that with respect to the Fourth Amendment and the Jones case from 2012. So I would like to see him do that in his answers to questions about the 14th Amendment and same-sex marriage in Obergefell. I'd like to see him do that about the protection for voting in the 15th Amendment, which guarantees the right to vote free from racial discrimination, and the Shelby County case that was decided by the Roberts Court in which they gutted um, one of the central protections of the Voting Rights Act. I'd also like to see that with respect to his view of the constitutional provisions in the First Amendment of free speech and how that relates to Citizens United. So since he's been willing to do it for one case and one constitutional provision, I'd like to see it for other decided cases and other constitutional provisions that are incredibly important. And that's really um, all we're trying to do is really find out how this person views the Constitution how he will be faithful to the Constitution and the law when he gets on the bench and not be beholden to any particular political agenda or be beholden to the president who put his name forward. So there has been a lot of questioning this morning about his independence. He certainly has said some of the right things. But, you know, there are also questions about whether he was willing to stand up to assertions of executive power when he worked in the George W. Bush administration. So there are a lot of questions that are out there. And, you know, honestly, people from all sides of the ideological spectrum have agreed on certain things. Um, we at CAC often make common cause with our friends on the conservative and libertarian side of the spectrum. So I think Carrie's criticisms are a little bit unfair. And some of the things she talks about, we don't actually even talk about in our brief. So I don't know well, if she's read it. But let's let, let's let Carrie have a chance to respond to that. Carrie? Uh, sure. I think he, he is following the same standard that Justice Ginsburg laid out. She refused to answer at least 70 different questions on topics that were likely to come before the court. All of the Supreme Court nominees that have followed uh, her have 
Stroud, the same line. I mean, look, the same people who are asking for give me more information about how you would rule on these cases would be filing recusal briefs, and rightly so, if he did go into detail about how he thought about this case. You recall when Justice Scalia gave a speech um, talking about his, his uh, opinion on it, it was the Pledge of Allegiance, and then later had to recuse himself because, yeah, you, as a judge, you have to be very careful not to prejudge a case. So I think what he's doing is not only appropriate but required, and it certainly fits in the standard of what every uh, justice has done so far. Um, I think his, I do agree that with Elizabeth that his statements on judicial independence have been excellent. He's been very clear. No one is above law. That includes the president of the United States. And I, I think his record shows exceptional um, willingness to hold the executive accountable. So I think that's something that should really give a lot of people All comfort right. if they're concerned. We'll have to leave it there. I want to thank both of you for being on Bloomberg Law. That's Carrie Severino, Chief Counsel at the Judicial Crisis Network, and Elizabeth Wydra, President of the Constitutional Accountability Center. And coming up, we're going to talk about a Supreme Court opinion that actually came down today, and it was 6-2. to two. It was about the curbing the president's power to appoint someone to fill a top government post.